Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 12, Like a Virgin. Let's get this show on the road. Before we start this week, we want to remind everybody that we're going to be hosting a live watch on June 28th for all of our patrons, regardless of the tier, where we're going to be watching The Man Who Would Be King. And I'm just so, so excited for my own personal reasons, but particularly because it's going to be Drew's first time watching it ever. And that's going to be an experience. So if you'd like to attend this live watch, you need to be or you need to become a patron and register for the event. And all the details are available on Coffee and Patreon. So head over to carryingwayward.com and register for this once in a lifetime event. <laughs> I have no idea how to advertise this because I have no idea what to expect. So if you like seeing me confused, baffled, laughing, laughed at, I don't know, anywhere on the spectrum... I'm there, I think. What did you think of this episode, though? I genuinely think this is one of the best episodes of the show in a long time. Wow. I don't think it's a favorite. Like, I look back at some episodes in the past that have really just attached to me because they have a really good connection. This does not feel like the like most important episode or my favorite episode. But as far as... What they were trying to achieve, or at least I feel what they were trying to achieve, in story, in character, in world building, every single aspect tied together perfectly. I felt no part of me was left, like, I'm left with questions for the obvious reasons, but, like, I'm not left upset or confused. They, uh, even the not dragging out the bullshit lying to each other thing, because Sam puts it together real quickly, as is expected... There's even the first time where he kind of lies about it. And then like next time comes clean to Dean and they're just like, no, cards on the table. This is where we are. I understand why you did it. And you understand why I did it. And we're both here. Like they're communicating. I, mm, I have a lot to say about it. But I will at the top of the episode apologize to our listeners for one mistake. I thought I recognized the villain at the end of this episode. So I paused the Amazon viewing to see the name of the actor and it unveiled the name of the character, which I feel like is probably meant to be a bigger reveal eventually. I'm hoping soon, but eventually suffice it to say, despite knowing who she is and putting all the dots together, I am beyond intrigued to learn more of this story. I mean, to be entirely honest with you, the reveal itself is not going to be like as like flamboyant as other reveals. So like, I don't think this is too bad a thing. I will say that there's one comment that I have yet to hear from you that I really thought I would hear about. Is it about the dragons? Yes, it is about the dragons. <laughs> I don't know if it's the show like wearing me down or if I've just <laughs> learned to accept it or that they did just enough to get away with it that I'm okay with these dragons. I genuinely thought, I was on the Discord server a couple of days ago telling people that we were going to record this episode and they were so excited because they wanted to hear your hot takes 
on the dragons because they thought that you would be just as upset, if not more, about the dragons than you were about the werewolves. So there's going to be a lot of disappointed people, just saying. So for those people, one, I totally had that thought and was like, oh, I know where this is going. But I think it was with Jeremy and Chris when they brought up the fact that every monster is just a human. And that I think has reshaped my view a little bit. But at the same time, we do get hints that these are just a human form they're taking. But then even the small details of the eyes, the like the hands being a little more claw-like. Like those hands, those are not just like press-on nails. Those were like, they did some prosthetics on those and I'm impressed. And like they're still kind of bringing in the like the flame powers. Like it did it did enough with what supernatural was gonna do with dragons, anyways, that I accept it. Do I still want to see a real bloody dragon? Yes. One last thing on the dragon note, though. I'm almost glad they didn't show us dragons, air quotes here, the full things, because Lord knows they would screw that up worse somehow. And they'd probably give us like wyverns or or worms, or they would not give us actual dragons, and I'd be livid. I think it's also, you know, we have to consider the limited budget that Supernatural had in terms of of CGI, but also the very limited team because they had their own in-house team that did this, uh, but it was pretty limited uh, in what they could do because I think they were like, what, it was like two guys that were doing all of the effects for Supernatural? Like it, it was something ridiculous like that. I'll look it up for a future episode, but. Teen Wolf from the 80s did a better werewolf and that was in the 80s with 80s budgets. All the budget went towards cocaine. They didn't have money for costumes and they still managed to do it. Anyways, I digress. Do you want to count me down for a recap? <gasps> Three, two, one, dragons. <laughs> we open on some sort of crazy scene where they're flying and they think they see something and it turns out later we find out it's a dragon. I thought it was a demon at first, but whatever. And then we find out that, that Bobby's like, oh, I'm on this case. And Dean's like, I need a case because I can't sit here and wait for Sam to wake up. Sam immediately wakes up and they go on this case. And it turns out they're... Something is collecting gold and virgins, and for some reason that leads to World of Warcraft, which I have problems with. Also, another side note, I have a lot of hot takes this week. Not the dragons, everything else, though. They hunt down the dragon, they're living in the sewers. Sam tricks Cass into revealing the year and a half that he's forgotten about and finds out what's going on. And they're surprisingly open with each other, as I said before. And they kind of get things out on the table, and everything seems to be kind of okay. And then we find out that one of these virgins is actually sacrificed by the dragons to purgatory to bring forth what looks to be our new big bad evil guy for the season. Time. Were you expecting D&D? Uh, I think I would have liked D&D more because D&D lore does go a bit more traditional. World of Warcraft lore, like just... And again, I'm not a World of Warcraft guy. I am adjacent to it a lot because it's very nerdy gaming and I have a lot of friends who play. To my knowledge of the way they write their things, I could not imagine like anything about virgins coming up in World of Warcraft, unlike in D&D. So the fact that that's where it kept leading him to kind of felt like, really? Like you just wanted a pot shot at a nerdy thing with dragons in it. And you, for some reason, went for, I guess, World of Warcraft, which was more of the zeitgeist at the time. Let's move on to the long game so that we can fill in a couple of blanks here. We do get a longer road so far for the recap of the season until now, right? And remember that this is the first episode after the mid-season finale. So it's been like almost two months or at least a month and a half uh, that people have seen like Sam get his soul. And as we've discussed before, I like to kind of look at these montages as like paratext. And here the emphasis is on like how cool and rock and roll the boys are and like how Sam was different. And like it was because he didn't have a soul and like he just got his soul back. And they 
basically remind us also of like the alphas in purgatory, right? So it, it, I, I just find it weird the way that they paint the storyline of this season so far, like, because it just doesn't, it's not the same feeling that we're getting when we're watching versus when we're watching this like road so far. So anyway. In case you brought a friend to watch the show for the first time ever and you want to know how cool Dean is, this is the clip you show them. Like, Dean's been crying over Ben and Lisa for at least, like, two months now. Like, But no, no, no. He gets his car back, and he has his cool jacket and a gun. It hit me while watching The Road So Far that it was a bit longer and, like, really, like, broad. And I remember you saying, oh, this would have been the midseason. That actually was really good context to have. Otherwise, it would have been really weird. Yes, because believe it or not, we are halfway through season six. Oh, my God. I, I just, just, ah, continue. <laughs> All right, Cass performs another soul check on Sam, and this time he does have a soul. Phew, right? It worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. But it's not looking great. Cass is particularly upset about this, and he says that Sam's soul feels like it's been flayed alive, uh, which for me like always brings me back to like that Buffy episode. Like you said, Sam remembers like nothing of the last year and a half or however long it's been. And he doesn't, so he doesn't remember hell and he doesn't remember being soulless. So nothing. The wall is working, quote unquote. Mm. <laughs> you seem so doubtful of this wall. I love it. You have such like a vindictive nature of like this wall that's totally going to work. Honestly, the most stupid thing ever. Like, how are you like... Like, how are you death incarnate? <laughs> and you're like, let me do this thing that this man will never tolerate. Anyway, I just don't understand. Let me build a wall of papier-mâché in his brain that might hold back some of it. <sighs> All right, moving on. So otherwise I'm going to get angry again. There's a moment where Sam says, uh, looks like the other two girls, uh, the other two missing girls both baked cookies for the Lord. And Dean replies, what is that code? Why? I am so glad that you asked, Jean, because yes, it is code, actually. Baking cookies is defined in Urban Dictionary as having sex. So although the girls were not actually having sex, you just got to love that Dean just like knows that this sounds like a euphemism. Something like baking cookies for the Lord sounds like the kind, it also sounds like the code of like, you know, that like, they want to do it, but they won't. They're like saving themselves, but like. They're not like preachy about it. Like, I don't know. I, I kind of, I see this as a weird positive version of like that euphemism of like, they're saving themselves, but they're cool about it. We meet Dr. Eleanor Viziak for the first time. This is a chick with a sword, man. Like. <laughs> and a bit of a history with Bobby. Hmm. I know. We're going to hear a bit more about that perhaps at some point. Like, I mean, I hope it's a relationship and not like an outwardly sexual relationship. I hope it's really just like an incredibly good friendship that just fell apart for some reason. Like, I want to see like more development than just like, we used to hook up and now we don't. We get the iconic scene of Dean trying to get the sword out of the stone. Someone was very clearly involved in the sound editing of that scene. And the cheap, flimsy sound of the sword wobbling back and forth when he fails initially might be one of the greatest moments of sound editing in this show to date. Yeah, I have to say the sound editing of that scene in particular was quite amazing. So thank you very much, whoever is responsible for that. 
Uh, we're not even 30 minutes into the episode after Sam gets his soul back and he's already scratching at the goddamn wall. Okay, in his defense, he doesn't know. <laughs> Proving my point that this was not a good plan. <laughs> in his defense, in this one instance, he does not know what the thing is and that he shouldn't scratch it. It's just that there's something there. To be fair, I'm not mad at Sam. <laughs> I'm not mad at Sam. I'm mad at death for being stupid. This was stupid. uh, There's no other way to say this. (laughs) Welcome to the portion of the show where Mary just calls death stupid. (laughs) Drew, we're talking about an episode with dragons. Like, point taken. I think I I can call death stupid. All right. Because my next point is that the episode ends with the dragons sacrificing one of the virgins in an effort to open a door to purgatory and let in the mother of all. Love the way this is put together, kind of tying the the boys with Bobby, like, discussing it and, like, the actual event happening in their, uh, their, their lovely uh, human-skinned book they've discovered. And also, I just want to point out, do you remember when the alpha vamp had said, like, we all have our mothers? The second they brought up the mother, I was like, I know where this is going. I want to see what this thing is. Let's go and have a look at story time. Our theme this week is reset. And that means basically to set something again or differently. And I think that this theme is interesting because it happens like, of course, to our characters, but it also happens like on a more meta level to the plot this week with like, you know, a lot of things kind of like, not concluding, but almost. I don't know why it feels so different from past themes for some reason. It works so well, but it just seems like a very different type of like word. I don't know why. I didn't give an etymology for it. So it's a bit of a different segment as well. I think it's weird that it's like a modern word and not like an ancient word we need to define or something. There's no Latin for it. So from that definition that we talked about, which is like to set something again or to set it differently, I think that Dean is looking at Sam as having been like set differently because he's not Sola Sam anymore, but he's also not the Sam from before. And what I mean by that is that like the wall that death put up has basically made Sam feel precarious to Dean almost like he's fragile, like he doesn't want to tell him what's been going on. And he's very clear about that with Bobby. He got more out of the wish than what he expected. I don't think it was something I was expecting, nor was Dean, that Sam would wake up with no memory of the last year and a half. That he'd basically be walking into this and getting a full do-over of the last year and a half with, you know, everything Sam went through. You know, he's seeing truly a second chance to live the life he would have had with his brother had they actually reunited properly on that day a year and a half ago. You know, assuming he'd come back in one piece. It then immediately leads to that awkward, like, ooh, I have to lie about this to keep him safe thing, which I think is such a rash decision, but is just Dean seeing this opportunity and not wanting to let it go. I think there's part of it that could be altruistic in that he doesn't want to put Sam through what he knows he's done because he knows it'll hurt him. But I think there's a selfish part of him, too, that wants this fresh start without the tainted year and a half they had together. That's exactly where I wanted to go. Because I agree with you, 
but I think we might be wrong. Like, I think we both might be wrong about this. And and I that's why I want to kind of scratch at that. Because, like, I think that Dean is, a, like like you said, protecting Sam in, in one way. Like, if, if Death, like himself, were to tell me not to do something, I think that I would try to listen as much as I possibly can, even though he's stupid for having done this in the first place. But anyway, but I think that there's also a part of him that doesn't really want to deal with telling him. I think that he sort of wishes that he could, like, again, set the relationship again, as in reset it, instead of differently, right? But then he's also telling Sam about his year with Ben and Lisa. And he hadn't really been able to do that with Sola Sam, right? And, like, every time that I watch this episode, I'm always pleasantly surprised that Dean tells him about it. I think that it would have been so much easier for him to just like take the teasing from Sam and be like, no, I didn't even try, whatever. I don't need anything, blah, 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 blah. But he like actively chooses vulnerability here. And I'm just like so proud of him for that. And that's why I'm like, I, I'm not, I don't quite know what to make of that. Like it seems a lot more complex than just, just one or the other. Even when I kind of looked at the altruistic versus selfish nature of this act, I truly think it was one of those things where, like, it, he made it. He makes the expression himself: "It's a gift horse. Don't look in the mouth." I think the calculation is so quick of the like. Oh, he doesn't remember. I don't have to like, you know, deal with. He doesn't have to suffer. And then he goes like, "Well, then I don't have to make him relive it. I get a free pass." Like he is very much quickly seeing all that. Um, but something you touched on here that really just like made me a little flustered was like that he's choosing to be vulnerable here. I think this is like, again, to go back to other examples, this is kind of like the, what, uh, I'm trying to think what is the, uh, the Christmas, I don't watch Christmas movies as often as anyone else does, but like the one where the guy wishes he was never born and then sees his life without him. Is it a wonderful life? I always, you know, I've never seen it. And I just, it's, I don't know on the list of movies I know I should see, but I'm never going to get to. Anyways, he is now seen a world with a Sam who is like at one end of the extreme. So not the Sam he grew up loving and knowing that and not being able to talk to him because there was no emotional connection. That as soon as he has his Sam back, who he's made fun of before for being a little more soft and cuddly, he immediately goes like, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that he has a soul and talk to him about my feelings. Like, right away, he's, like, taking it for granted before. And now he gets to, like, no, wait, I love this. I can tell you how I feel and you'll be okay. I think it shows growth. Like, I think he's grown. I'm so proud of him. Oh, I love that. But Dean also has just been, like, a fish out of water almost this entire season. He was excluded from hunting, from knowing his brother was back. Uh, his literal family, like, again, like, we talk about Samuel and, like, their, like, terrible relationship all this time. But, like... This is his grandfather. The Campbells are his cousins. They're as much his family as they were to Samuel. They were to Sam for the, that full year. Here he's really getting a do-over for that last year where now he is in control. Now he's no longer excluded. You know, it, it's not even just a reset for Sam. It's a reset for his return to hunting. Yeah, exactly. It's like a return. It's it's. I mean, we're going to talk about it with Sam, but like it's a return to like swan song status but again except i think dean has grown since then so for sam i think that the biggest reset is that he does obviously and and this is kind of like an obvious one and we can like dig deeper as we go but like is that he doesn't remember 
the time that his soul spent in hell, and he also doesn't remember what he did on earth when he was soulless. And I'm going to talk about what that evokes for me in critical time. I think that what this means for Sam, though, is that he's set again, as in like he's entirely back to who he was in Swan Song. He hasn't, he hasn't grown since. Dean has, but he hasn't. He hasn't changed. And that's because he doesn't remember the things that he's been through or the lessons that he might have learned. And if we think specifically about like his memories from hell, actually, let, let's think back first to Dean's reaction to getting out of hell. Like the memories were so traumatic that he pretended that he didn't even remember. And here we have Sam who actually doesn't remember. So he's not carrying all of that trauma around constantly the way that Dean did in season four. Like Sam getting this kind of reset, like really like it it hits so different. Like thinking back to episode one of season six and seeing Sam and feeling like something's wrong. Like even then something was like that, like that, like ache in the back of your throat. You're like, I can't, Something tastes wrong in this. You know, kudos to his acting. I think I know there's a bit of making fun of Jared's acting, but like Sam in this moment feels so genuine and like a whole new character. I, I know we're breaking the story a little. We'll talk about the behind the scenes, the acting, but like it's deserved. So as you established in the long game and in the recap, and I did in the recap, no memory save for I love the kind of the faint feeling when he's looking through the notes of like maybe we possibly hunted something together, uh, referencing Lucky specifically. The one downside to resetting Sam is that like now that he's back to being soulful again, is that like he's Sam again. Sam is curious and smart and gonna try shit. So like it, there's like a part of me too where it's like I want to know did I just miss it in the episode, but like. When did he get suspicious that something was wrong? Like, it feels like him summoning Cass. Like, as soon as Cass gets there, it's clear that his intention is to get Cass to spill the beans. Immediately, yes. Like, yeah, it's clear that was his plan. But, like, what was the moment where he goes, something doesn't feel right. Let me get Cass and try to trick him into this because Cass is the one who will be too literal. And also, while we're on the hook of Cass, for just two seconds, the attempted hug Oh, the fact that he went from seeing Sam literally treat him like a huntable monster and his response to seeing him with the soul back was to go in for a hug, even though they don't really have the best relationship, to me is a sign of Cass's growth while we're not talking about him much this episode because he's literally in it for like 11 seconds. In those 11 seconds, he does so much work and I'm so proud of that boy. I mean, okay, so there's a lot of things to unpack in there, but like, I think that the first that Sam starts to get suspicious when he mentions Lucky, right? And Dean like dismisses it, and like, oh, whatever, whatever, whatever. It could have used a few more clues. But the thing is, there's also Bobby after that, where he's like, what's going on with Bobby? Like, what's going on? And then because Bobby is still like kind of reeling from the fact that Sam tried to kill him, like very much like in cold blood murder him. And I think that you don't like forget something like that immediately, right? So I think that those two things together, he's like, well, let me just try Cass. And I just love that Cass got full on played by Sam in that moment, like barely 24 hours into Sam getting his soul back. Like he just played him 
like a freaking fiddle. Like, which also, like, sort of resets the relationship, too, because, like, especially from where it was a couple episodes ago where Sam was, like, telling him that he was going to kill him because he doesn't sleep and he's going to find him, right? I feel like that's kind of the thing. Like, not only does Sam not remember his time in hell, but he doesn't remember his time as Solus Cast either. As Solus Cast. Ah! <laughs> oh, my God. He doesn't remember his time as Solus Sam either, right? And I think that, like that creates the situations where people are having trouble forgiving him, like Bobby, but then other people like Cass are just like, I'm just glad that you're back. You know, like I just, like I've changed, I've evolved during this time and I expect the relationship to be like different or to set differently because like I expect you to remember all the things that we've been through. But he, he doesn't. He doesn't understand why he's trying to hug him. Also, it occurred to me here that <laughs> the small bit of irony here in the fact that in that initial conversation, the I don't sleep one, it very much seemed like I'm going to outplay you. I'm super smart. I'm the villain. And then now that he's not the villain anymore, he still outplayed him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. Remember when we were talking about like, is Sola Sam really Sam? Like, is he, is he not? Like, of course, he's not the Sam that we knew, but he is a part of him because like he knew how to manipulate Cass so easily. And that's something that like Sola Sam had been doing to Dean for a while, right? Like when he was like trying to like show empathy, like faking empathy. Like that's basically what he's doing with Cass in that moment. He's playing Soulless Sam. So anyway, I love this part. I genuinely hope we get like, even if it's like a two second scene next episode of Cass apologizing to Dean for this. Cause I just want to see that response of Dean being like, it's okay. Sam's really good at this. <laughs> Dean goes, "Ugh, freaking child. Yeah, exactly. He knows. <laughs> he's like, Oh my God, he got played. <laughs> uh, You've basically, like, handed me the dish exactly as I expected it. Sam now knows that Dean has been lying and, you know, he's not going to say anything and it's going to drag on. Eventually there'll be a misunderstanding and it'll get revealed that Sam knows and Dean will be all like, how did you know? And they'll, they'll fight about it. It'll be a thing. And then, no, there is one moment where it looks like Sam wants to say something and doesn't. And then later he approaches Dean at a good moment while Dean is in a very happy place, i.e. with a pile of gold, and just straight up says, I need to apologize. And he's like, no, no, I was like, no, I need, and Dean puts it together immediately. Sam, without having to say anything explicit, gets it right across. We are so used to these two idiots hiding shit from each other that it's literally, like, shocking to me that there was enough growth, despite how, like, it seems like there might not have been at this point. But they have grown so much that they were able to put that together. There's another thing that I want us to talk about. And that's the fact that Sam says uh, that he's starving after he wakes up. Because when Dean got back from hell, uh, he was really thirsty, as we remember. Like he breaks into the convenience store and he drinks water. Like that's the first thing that he does. Whereas Sam is hungry. He says he wants to eat. And we know that Sam had already been like a bit squeamish about food in season five, or at least leading up to season five, particularly when it comes to meats and processed foods. So I don't think that it's a leap to think that like one form of torture that he would have injured in hell would have been like torture through food. I think if Sam gets his memories from hell back, I think it's going to be really 
interesting to sort of watch how his relationship with food evolves. Totally forgot that for Dean, it was a thirst versus Sam's hunger. And like, I'm trying to think more like, oh, well, like, but we do see soulless Sam eat. So it wasn't like he wasn't eating. Uh, maybe he wasn't eating more towards the end because they were kind of under watch. But like, I can't really think of any reasoning. So I'm, I think it does go back more to his relationship. But I also feel like it's so important that we take a moment to look at Sam's first meal back. Because it's a simple, homemade, like super plain white bread sandwich. Which is so reminiscent of the last character we saw suddenly getting back to their own life with Jimmy. And I kind of just love that parallel. Like, you know, another like weird Sam cast parallel, which seems out of place. But like this whole like returning like to your ordinary life in a way. And coming back to a pure comfort food. I don't have any reason for this. I am 99% sure it is like an artistic choice, if not just a weird decision. But twice in this episode, at least, there might be more and I missed them. The camera lingers on Bobby's chili. So the way that I'm looking at that is a little bit like a, a remnant of uh, Weekend at Bobby's where he's like trying to eat the pe the freaking peach cobbler and he can't. And it sort of feels like that where he, he ends up like overheating the chili when it's just from a can, right? Like it just needed like a couple of minutes on the stove, but he ends up leaving it there longer. And then he should have eaten it right away, but then it ended up like congealing in the bowl. Like, I don't know. So That's sad. kind of what I thought, but I was like, why this chili is throwing me for such a loop? It seems like a weird thing to focus on, but I kind of love it. As a parent, <laughs> I know that feeling of like making sure that the people who are in your care eat warm food and then ending up eating like cool, cold, congealed food. So I, I related to that a lot. I was like, oh, Bobby, you're such a good dad. The best dad. This episode was written by Adam Glass, directed by Phil Scritchia, and it originally aired on February 4th, 2011. Ooh, we've jumped a full, we're a full year ahead. Which reminds me, they made a reference at some point. I really wish I had written it down, but they reference, I think, Game of Thrones or something. Yes, Mother Dragons, yeah. To me, that is like worlds apart. Like, that would be like... The Jetsons referencing Supernatural. It's like, you are like a billion years removed from each other. You can't do that. It started in 2011. Oh my God. Was it then? Were they referencing the books? Oh God, that's even more impressive. So the first appearance of Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones, like in a Game of Thrones book written in 1996. Basically, we just found out that Sam... Red Game of Thrones. This is the shit I live for. The weird, like, we could put this together. Like, what he was in school, probably. I guarantee you he hid this from people. Like, even Jess didn't know. <laughs> in my mind, we know that he also read The Lord of the Rings, right? And those those kinds of series. So I think... I posit that they both read Lord of the Rings and are both hiding it from each other. <gasps> I love that even. I love... I adopted... <laughs> Implied headcanons. <laughs> no, just headcanon, not implied. Just headcanons. All right, Drew, what's in the Hunter's Journal? You wander into what feels like the 100th chamber in this labyrinth. It's been several hours. You're low on snacks and even lower on stamina. 
you consider a short rest to help you regain some strength. You rest well and ready yourself for the adventure to continue. You're well equipped and ready for anything, or at least you hope you are. Only a few steps into the winding darkness, you are pounced upon by something small and impish. You ready yourself to attack, but it lunges first, missing you as you deftly dodge, opening itself to your attack. You see the advantage and you strike the foe, a critical blow piercing it with your blade. You gather the small amount of coins the creature leaves behind as you make your way to the end of the passage, leading to a room full of light. The sparkling and shining from the piles of gold reflect the light of the molten lava lining the room. The smell of sulfur fills your nostrils, and the warmth of this chamber is almost instantly too much to handle. From the far back of the room, a silhouette rises, long and tall, reaching up to the height of the cathedral-like ceilings. Its wings spread out to either side, blocking the majority of the light that was behind it, casting its menacing shadow upon you, its prey. Roll for initiative. Haha, <laughs> I love it. I did a bunch of research on the legend of the sword from this, because it is an actual sword that is like in a statue in Prague. Uh, and I am now determined to go see it one day. But despite the fact that there is a statue of a dragon across the bridge from the statue with the sword, none of the legends I could find talk about him slaying a dragon. A hydra, yes, but not a dragon. But I couldn't find enough. A lot of it was like hearsay storytelling, like sites that seemed like at least they were trying, but I couldn't really give enough proper, I couldn't find enough proper sourced information to want to share fully, but like enough to say it's a real sword and there are some legends about it. And if you're in Prague, there's a beautiful statue of it and I want to go see it. So I figured today I would just go a little more whimsical. And what are you sharing with us this week? I want to talk about Sam losing his memory because for me, like, the second anybody loses their memory in movies or TV shows like post-2004, I always, always think of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. If you're listening to us and you're a millennial or older and you had any kind of inkling towards like art or media, you probably already know about this movie. But if you're younger, you might actually not. And I don't even know how to explain like the cultural impact of Eternal Sunshine on anyone who was doing like media or film studies at the time that it came out. The movie is about like 19 years old at this point, like it's almost 20 years old. So I, I, like, I'm not going to be super careful with spoilers, but I'm going to try not to give away the ending. It's It's basically about a couple who decides to undergo a medical procedure to have their memories of each other erased uh, because they were just too painful for them to keep after their breakup. One of the central questions of the movie is like, how much of your memories make up who you are? And there's a lot of other questions that this movie asks like really well, I think. <laughs> but that's really like the central one that's related to Supernatural because I think that one question that I've been asking myself so far this entire half season, and especially now, is like, how much of Sam's memories make up who Sam actually is? If you could have picked a movie to describe this, you couldn't have done a better job. Uh, because that is such a like iconic film. And I will genuinely say, if you haven't seen it, watch it. I think the idea of memory and how much, how important memory is to you, I mean is such a crucial point. And I think getting to play with that with Sam now, like I really don't know how much they're going to do it, 
but I'm very intrigued to see how that plays into the season to come and further. This week, we have a message from Dana. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, if you were a dragon, what would you hoard? Or do you already hoard something? For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk, stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hello, Carrying Wayward. Uh, this is just nerve-wracking because anxiety is just a bitch, but I wanted to send a voicemail anyway. So um, I just finished watching uh, episode 11 of season 5, Sam Interrupted, and it just kind of made me want to send this. First of all, thank you, Marie, for what you said about watching the Winsters and everything you mentioned about that one. I do watch the show, but like I completely understand why it's just not possible for some people i completely get that uh it has successfully made me hate john more but that's a completely different tangent what i did want to talk about is something else about john which is alistair lied through his teeth when he was talking to dean in on the head of a pin so let me try to get my thoughts about this one so basically we know that from what alistair says john spent about a century on the rack with him so he claims. Which, if we take what Dean says, which is like, each month is about 10 years in hell, then that's about 10 months. So, from the moment John dies in episode 1 of season 2 to when we see him in the last episode of season 2, we can just kind of assume that like the 20 episodes in between is the time he's dead, and that's the century he spends in hell, right? Which like... We also know that it's in episode, I think, 8, Crossroads Blues, that Hell's already trying to get Dean to make a deal. Which means that by episode 8 of season 2, Hell's aware that basically they don't need John Winchester. He's the wrong person for the job. Which just, if we use this as a kind of figuring out when, how long John's been in Hell... Episode 8 is, like, at most, like, four months since he's died-ish, if my math is correct, which means kind of 40 years, which means that by the time John's been in hell as long as Dean has, hell's fully aware that John is the wrong person for the job. So Alistair's lying off the bat. <laughs> and then you add the fact that we know that Cass had to, you know, have a whole garrison to go into hell for to get Dean out, whereas John was just able to walk through a hell gate, so I see no way that Alistair could have been telling the truth about that. I don't even believe that he even saw John, and if he did, he certainly did not spend much on him, because I'm pretty sure Harry immediately recognized, oh, he is not the righteous man, and just went, skip, we need to get Dean. So, um... Yeah, I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on this. Um, thank you for this podcast. It's been absolutely great. <laughs> the finale kind of made it impossible to rewatch the show, and this has just helped a hell of a lot. And I'm looking forward to everything else. So, uh, bye. I love this voicemail. 
Dana, thank you. I love the concept of Hell realizing how shitty John is so quickly that he is just like thrown aside to the point that when the gates open, he can just wander out. <laughs> like it's like in all seriousness, I love the idea that Alistair was lying about this, and that makes so much sense from his perspective that he would use these falsehoods about John to screw with Dean. Uh, and like, I, I, I'll be honest, in the time, I didn't think too much of it. I just thought of it as Alistair being Alistair. It didn't really think like, oh, well, what did John actually do? How did John actually respond to this? As much as we all call him a dick, he's also a survivalist. So the odds of like John just going like, oh, I can get out of this by torturing people instead. Like he'd do it in a heartbeat. He's an asshole. He tortured his kids for so many years. Why wouldn't he torture some strangers? Uh, sorry, very anti-John, John Winchester hate club, we we meet every week on this show, um, (laughs) this, this is the club, (laughs) uh, but ultimately a very good voicemail, thank you so much for bringing this up and, like, making us joyfully find this point together, and I now just want the mini-sode of, like, the five minutes with John where they, like, the entirety of hell just goes... Yeah, we got the wrong one, guys. Um, what about his kids? One of them good? Perhaps not the one drinking demon blood. There's like maybe three things that I really, really want to respond to here, Dana. Thank you so much for sending us this voicemail. First off, also love this idea. I think it really works. And I, I think that this, especially listening to this voicemail at this point in the series, it makes me think about like, what are the possible lies that Sam could have been told in hell? Because like, I think that for Dean lying about how good his father was and how virtuous his father was, was probably like a continued form of torture for him, even when this was happening on Earth. You know, demons will, or at least Alistair in this case, right? Like will live for the thrill of hitting Dean where it hurts, Uh, if I can again quote uh, Dr. Taylor Allison Swift. And I'm actually working my way to quote her in every single episode this this (laughs) season. You're on a pretty good track so far. And it's sort of making me wonder, like, what kind of torture did they put Sam through? Um, Because he's just, like, not that he's just coming back from it, but, like, his soul is just back from it. And so perhaps that might become a plot point at some point. So it kind of makes me curious about that. And then the last thing that I want to touch on is just like briefly about the Winchesters, because like, now that I know how it ends, I'm totally cool to watch it. I just needed to know how it ended before I could give myself to this series in a way. So now that I know what happens and I know what to expect, I'm, I I will be watching it at some point this summer. So thank you so much. And uh, I hope that you're, uh, you're gonna, you, I, you said that you watched it, so I, I will be sharing my thoughts and feelings about that at some point as well. So thank you so much. Mary, do you have any reflections or calls to action this week? So one thing that comes up for me in this episode is that Dean doesn't tell Sam the truth. And again, like, I don't blame him for this. I just think that he was doing it like what he thought was right at the time, which is totally fine. But when has that ever worked for them? Right. Like it's the repetitive repetitiveness of it that sort of gets to me. And like on the bright side, like it's that sort of ends like very quickly. So we don't have to deal with too much of that. 
But like, I, I'm just thinking about Dean, who's been like on both sides of this situation, and yet he's still doing it because he thinks that like, maybe this time it's gonna work. And I just feel like so called to like notice and interrogate like my own patterns of behavior when I'm like, oh, but maybe this time this ridiculous thing that has never worked for me will work. I, I think we've all been there, so I can definitely understand that one. And my reflection weirdly kind of ties in nicely because it's in a very same vein of how often have you watched, especially in a rom-com, that very evident moment of like, here is a misunderstanding and these two characters, if they just took two seconds to talk through this moment, would resolve the entire like crux of this film. And that's such a trope even in this show, the number of times one of them lies to the other and the fact that they're lying becomes an entire thing and the reveal is a huge upset. Whereas, again, I think of big reveals like the demon blood thing. I don't think that was going to go over well, but probably would have gone over better in a casual conversation explaining everything versus just Dean catching Sam guzzling some dude. Uh, That came out wrong. Um, (laughs) So my call to action to change subjects really quickly is just to take the time to explain things properly and also give people the time to listen to their explanations because odds are if someone is doing something and I'm not sure what the point is or why it's happening, there is probably a good reason. And I extend that same thing to myself in that I might not be clear in why I'm doing something. Let me explain it so that we're hopefully as close to the same page as we can be to avoid a rom-com style mix-up. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigoroux and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Dana for their message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon. And you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. <laughs> Okay, I have a weird one, actually. Within the record collection, there's a subsection. Oh my God, I'm exposing myself. Of Christmas albums, but not any kind of Christmas albums. Like weird local choir Christmas albums. So I have, actually they're right there. Like I can literally just grab them. So I'm like always looking for these weird little recordings that like, nobody would be interested in but like I just love having and like I listen to them every year and there's a part of me that's like you know what that way like these people who are singing in these records like are still like with us somehow you know so